Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Advocacy Channel, a customer marketing podcast presented by Sasquatch. I'm your host, Will Fraser, and welcome to episode 13. For this episode, I have two very special guests coming to chat about customer advocacy. I'm thrilled to have both Dina and Liz join us on the show today. As the founders of Captivate Collective, an advocacy agency that works with large companies like Adobe, Sage, and Amplitude to build their customer advocacy programs and strategies, Dina and Liz are well-known experts in the space with years of experience from us to learn from. Tune in as Liz, Dina, and I discuss how to evolve your customer advocacy strategy after you've launched your first program and their advice on how to get started with such a program and what's next in customer marketing. Hint, it's about unlocking advocacy for your entire customer base. We hope you enjoy this episode. Liz, Dina, thank you very, very much for joining us on the show today. Uh, so happy to have you here. I'm so glad you could uh, could make the time to come join us uh, and talk with the audience. Just thank you for joining us. You are very, for having very us, welcome. Well. Yeah. You know, we, we gave a brief intro uh, before the show started, kind of what you are doing at Captivate Collective, but I'd love to hear um, from your own words. Uh, for those who don't happen to know Captivate Collective, what is it that you're doing uh, today? What kind of work do you specialize in? We specialize in customer advocacy. It's, that's who we are. That's what we do. That's what our agency is focused on. We don't dabble in it. It's not something that is just kind of on the on the side of what we do, we are laser focused on customer advocacy. And that means that we work with clients to uh, put together customer advocacy strategies, program strategies, or full portfolio strategies for our larger customers, um, brand work for customer advocacy programs, and then getting into some of the nuance of, of the types of programs um, that our clients are looking for. So could be an awards program, uh, could be a cab, but everything we do is through the lens of customer advocacy. And, you know, you're kind of mentioning some of your larger customers, kind of what does like an ideal group, a uh, typical group that you work with kind of look like? Oof, it's, it really spans. So we work with some of the biggest enterprises on the planet in the in the tech space um, and then work with um, some, you know, uh, smaller, small, medium um, size clients as well. But we play, you know, in both of those uh, arenas. Um, just the complexity of the big organizations is is really the differentiator. The, the practice of customer advocacy and how you do customer advocacy really well uh, doesn't doesn't change. And you, you mentioned tech I there. Think, Oops, sorry, go ahead, Liz. I was just going to add on to that. I think the important thing is, you know, um, not so much size or even industry, although, of course, a lot of our customers tend to be in the tech space. But we really look for those organizations that are bought into what we call the advocacy mindset, which is um, we've kind of moved beyond, OK, let's set up a program and, and let's get customers to do a bunch of stuff for us um, more into the realm of what can we offer customers to build a mutually beneficial relationship. So those organizations who don't just give lip service to it, but really are believers in that advocacy mindset of, obviously we have to bring value first and foremost um, in order to build longevity in a kind, uh, a kind of relationship that, that has the outcomes most organizations are looking for in an advocacy program. And, and just to kind of maybe double click on, on that point for a second, Liz, uh, you know, do you find that, that that's the, you know, 
the majority or the minority of companies you talk to that, that are in that <laughs> mindset today? You know what? I think it sounds good to all companies because everyone knows the the law of return. Basically, we can look at our own relationships and we can see that, okay, if we're focused on me, 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 it does not make for a, a good relationship at the end of the day. But I think when you dig in a little bit more, you can kind of see the organizations who are really focused on bringing value to their customers versus not just giving that lip service, but um, uh, the ones who are looking for more of a transactional approach of, no, we really just want to make sure that we get what we want from customers and we can throw some fun and cool Mm -hmm. stuff at them. The difference being relationship, you know, what we typically delve into is do these organizations have a a good relationship with their customers? Do they want a relationship? Mm. And, and, and that is, that can be the kind of make or break it for a good um, advocacy, true advocacy program. I think it's evolved in the last say, well, how long have we been consulting this? Seven years, (laughs) seven years ago, you would have a new client come into the office and right away they would say, I want, you know, 50 new referrals in the first quarter Mm -hmm. and uh, we have to hit 25 million in referred uh, business in the first year for me to consider this um, successful. And I think now that that talk track has changed just through COVID, people understand now and just through the, the nature of SaaS and, and how um, business has changed. People now see the the longer play of relationship and aren't um, aren't adverse to the idea of having to invest up front to, to get something in the longer run. And, and by chance, do you think that's kind of connected to like people really coming back around to retention and, and, you know, that, that idea mm-hmm. of an existing customer's worth so much? I mean, I think we all learned mm-hmm. it at some yeah. point, probably in a, a marketing book older than I am. Uh, it was already being talked about, but it feels like there was a return to that during COVID maybe that, that we kind of, uh, when budgets got tight, people started doing what I, I dare say they started doing the smart thing. <laughs> they started doing the, the thing that they always knew, but was a little bit harder. Um, mm-hmm. Have you kind of seen that trend as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah, a- absolutely. Absolutely. A-, a few years ago, I was at a conference, and um, Meg Hoyer, who's amazing and brilliant and smart and talented, did a-, a-, a conference session on what if you, you know, we spend all of this money on on all of these different initiatives, but what if you just hyper focused on improving retention by one or two percent? What does that actually look like and how do you get there and how can you maintain that type of focus um, and measurement to to get there? And it just, you know, when someone lays it out in, in black and white and he just shows you that just 1% makes a massive difference rather than all sorts of kind of fluffy um, other numbers, then um, it, it certainly makes other conversations that we can have with our clients um, more meaningful. And, and I know we're kind of going everywhere here, but you know, I just want to kind of keep going down the path <laughs> a second. Um, I, cause I think this is, you're, you're so right, right? It's like the black and white, this should win, right? This, this is such a strong argument that a, you know, a, a, a dollar saved is worth so much more than a new dollar, um, booked, but it still feels like there's a lot of companies not, not really buying into that, even though the black and white is there. Um, you know, are you seeing that really shift or, or are you still kind of, mm-hmm. you know, in your view, is there, there, that's still a problem? No, I, th- I think we're seeing a huge shift. Um, 
So for instance, when Dean and I started not to date ourselves, nobody had <laughs> customer advocacy as a title. I actually fought to put it in my title because I, I, I just thought that's what I love and that's where things are going. Um, and now with the meteoric rise, basically, of um, customer marketing and customer advocacy titles, even just this year, we, right. we've been talking about it, it's been a banner year for customer marketing, um, right? We had we went from no conferences to now there's going to be like four live conferences this year um, uh, and all sorts of things just proliferating right now because everyone sees that this is a rising practice and everyone kind of wants to be a part of it. I I think where some of the skepticism may still live, will, or may come into play, I think is a healthy skepticism because as people started jumping on the bandwagon of, oh yeah, we, we need customer programs, we need customer programs, I'm going to feel like I'm contradicting myself here. Um, but sometimes it, the thought process was like value to the customer, value to, to the customer, but that that still needs to be done in a measurable and organized practice way, not like, oh, we're just going to have conversations and give away stuff and whatnot. So you saw a lot of new programs popping up and the idea was just get members, just make customers happier. Mm -hmm. um, but there was no rigor to the practice and, and things were hard to measure and and tools were scarce. And now as things are maturing and the practice is maturing, um, there is good, healthy emphasis. Coming back to those original programs, people are going, okay, but what's the return on investment? Um, and sometimes that's okay, like at a certain stage to say the return on investment is we have people that we're building relationships with. That is great. But there always comes a day in every program's life where someone <laughs> takes a look and says, okay, but what if we put that money somewhere else? Can you tell me that that wouldn't have a better return on investment? Um, and so there is now a demand for more rigor. And so I think you do have a healthy dose of skepticism from maybe people who don't know how to measure that, um, haven't seen it done well, have seen a lot of money wasted in the past, maybe. And so I, that might be where you see some of that skepticism, along with the people who it is still kind of brand new. Yeah. But in B2B, SaaS specifically, I mean, we're seeing everyone kind of jump on the bandwagon. And now it's more about, well, if everyone has a program. <laughs> Yeah, you, you if hit that everyone tipping has point. a program, uh, you know how how are people deciding which programs to be a part of, and 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 do we have saturation? Um, and so we're not there, but we're we're constantly thinking ahead to that day. Like, okay, you know, this is the rise, this is the wave, but what what's going to happen at the end of that wave? You know, and that's that's an absolutely amazing point to make. And and you know, earlier we were speaking, and, and you had mentioned um, about the idea of you know mature advocacy programs and helping them go on. Is that possibly close to your, you know, th this idea of, you know, mature programs, you know, as, as this becomes more common play, we have to go beyond the, the standards or, or what it might be. But may maybe you can kind of start just by helping us kind of understand what you kind of think a mature program is and, and, and help us understand how we kind of help that, that keep evolving. Absolutely. I was giving Dina a minute there to like <laughs> pop in if she wanted to. I don't want to keep on talking. We, yeah, we do you, think about mature. <laughs> we do think about maturity a lot. I mean, but just naturally, like we started when things were extremely immature and Dina ran a whole program out of a spreadsheet for years. Mm -hmm. uh, and that's what was available. And it was a good program. 
Um, but of course, things have really evolved. Um, the ecosystem has evolved. The data sharing, whoa, that has completely evolved as people try to make the programs more and more relevant and get more and more value out of these standalone programs back into the organization. So that data flow um, has changed quite a bit. We're also seeing um, a, a lot more emphasis on um, the teams that are built around this and, and how those are evolving. So when we look at program maturity, to get back to your question, we do look at a set of uh, criteria. We actually even created a, a maturity model around it. Um, and it's uh, these criteria are bucketed into three groups. It's the, the experience for the advocate who, again, that's part of what we always say, that that has to be the first focus, um, because if your advocate experience is not good, then nothing else is going to work well. Um, the the program execution. So what's the technology, the resourcing and the budget behind that? And then the business impact of that program of course, the outcomes. That's usually where everyone starts. I, I have like five outcomes I want. Yeah. But what are those outcomes? How are they evolving uh, the brand of the program specifically? And then the alignment to all the other internal departments. So there are many factors that we look at, but they all um, play into this idea of program maturity. You know, and, and I think that's that's interesting. One of the things you touched on there that I, I've definitely seen and hearing a lot is really around that data sharing. You know, you know, whether it's because, you know, maybe there was nine small initiatives that were fully siloed in different organizations or in one organization mm -hmm. that, that that just didn't get to cross pollinate. But that data sharing, I think, is is a real sign of my experience. Some of the most mature programs that they're actually getting that proper cross pollination, not just from, you know, the advocacy team to one group, but really to every group that they they participate with. Um I guess the question I kind of ask is when someone gets that right, you know, what is the, what's the superpower that you're seeing them unlocking? What's the advance that you get from that? Well, I'll at least speak to the, the kind of the, the technological impact. I think when you have a, a, a advocacy program or a portfolio that is really well integrated technologically in the business, that's also a sign that that program or, or practitioners or, or that team are well integrated in the business because it takes a lot of buy-in mm -hmm. to get people to want to unlock their tools, let you plug into their tool. I mean, when with my um, program many years ago as, a, as an administrator, it took well over a year to get a Salesforce integration because they were just like, Meh, like get, get in the queue. Right. I didn't have that buy in from that side of the business. So these folks who are doing a great job, uh, it, who are integrated and know how to use the tools and, and the data flows. And hey, customer advocacy professionals don't have to be experts at tech technology data flows. There are people inside your business who are experts at doing that. But you have to understand the tools and the outcomes to understand where do you need to pull data in from um, to uh, to 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 continue to to show the value of the program. Mm -hmm. I, I I think this is where programs are still really immature, and, and, and to to no fault of the practitioners, mm -hmm. it is a complex thing because businesses tend to be extremely siloed, and and data is um, it just 
all over the place in most cases. Um, but I think as programs mature, um, there is this healthy focus now, similar to what happened with uh, COVID and the, the focus on retention is on this customer experience. And, and we're starting to see like, it's just so no brainer, but like people don't really like going to four different logins or five different logins. Yep. It's a lot to remember, not to mention the other 10 vendors they work with and their four or five different logins. I remember when the proliferation of streaming services came on board and everyone started branching off to have their own streaming service. And I was just so frustrated because I, I was thinking, this is not a good experience for me as a consumer. Now I have to have five different logins to watch my five different shows. <laughs> um, and so I think, you know, as all things do, pendulums swing and there is now a, a swinging back toward, oh, okay, this is maybe not the best experience for customers. So seeing that idea of data flow and integration is because I don't want to be treated in this advocacy program like a separate person than who I am when I'm meeting with my CSM or, right. um, you know, when I'm doing my educational um, journey with the company. What I want is an integrated experience where it's just kind of understood. And, and what we typically see is, uh, no, those data, that data isn't shared very well, or it certainly doesn't inform the customer experience. And so when I am going through a renewal process, that's one thing. Um, but when I'm inside of the advocacy program, if I'm in a branded advocacy program, I, I could be totally different. I could be at the bottom, whereas I'm having a renewal over here where I'm spending millions of dollars, but that's because I'm not doing a lot of activity over here and I'm spending a lot of money over here. So I'm treated quite differently in my customer journey in these two places. I'm really looking for programs to mature that and, and bring those two things together so that when I have a support interaction and I happen to be you, someone who's done a, an amazing amount of advocacy for your program, that is somehow acknowledged inside of my support interaction. It's not two completely siloed different experiences. But again, we understand, even though we love this vision and we see some people are dabbling and starting to break through those silos. It is a difficult vision just because of how enterprises are run and, and set up. You know, I think it's interesting because these these kind of points really dovetail, right? We we have this this challenge you're talking with Dina about getting priority with that Salesforce integration, right? And then this this substantially better user experience when we can get that that integration across both of them. And and I do I do agree with you, Liz, that that I think the the tides are changing a little bit, and customer experience is of course coming more and more to the forefront. Maybe, you know, for those out there who are still trying to fight the good fight and, and get that priority to get the <laughs> Salesforce integration or to, to move it forward, you know, any, anything you're seeing that's, that's helping advance that, that, that cause that, that's helping people get the priority and resources they need from multiple teams, uh, to move towards this, this idea? Yeah. And I, I it's also a part of how we look at at um, maturity and that's the, the outcomes and the alignment of outcomes to what's actually important to the business. So instead mm -hmm. of coming in and trying to get in a queue because you have some random uh, program running up some random kind of um, hyper departmental outcomes, if you're not aligned to the, the top line of the, the business, then, you know, it makes sense that folks who are get in line um, ahead of you. So that alignment of outcomes of the the, the mission and, and vision for what it is that you're trying to do with customer advocacy is key. Yeah. So just, um, yeah, I, I, sorry, go sorry. Well, no, I was no. just going to reiterate that it's just on my mind. 
you know, it, when a, when a client comes and they say to me, um, okay, uh, tell me what I should be measuring in my program. <laughs> and I, I think like I could, I could tell you like 10 typical things, uh, you value you could derive from your program, but that is back backwards. What we really want is to look at what's important to the organization at the very top level and then understand what we want the outcomes of the program to be. People hear about advocacy programs. They see a lot of nice metrics or numbers, we'll call them, um, but then have a very hard time uh, storytelling the the impact back to the organization. And that's because what they're doing may just be creating a lot of great content, or it may be um, making uh, some good relationships happen over here. But if it isn't a story that can align into the key initiatives of the organization at that time, that story is just lost. Uh, So it's much better to make sure that your program is strategic because you are strategically using that program to, uh, to help grow the business. I mean, if you can show that you're helping to grow the business through the ways that are important to leadership, then that's how you get your and that's how you skip to the front of the line. And so we always tell clients, you know, your your job as an advocacy professional is to build advocacy with your clients, of course. But one thing that people really don't focus on is you're you're like the middle management. You know how hard it is to be middle management? It's very hard. You have someone telling you to do this from above, and then you have to communicate all that down below. But in it, as an advocacy professional, you are building advocacy with your clients, but you're also building advocacy internally. I mean, you're doing both sides of the fence constantly. You have a dual role. Um, and that can really trip some people up um, because they'll focus on one or the other um, to the detriment of that program. And so... You know, we always say it's a unicorn role. You've got to have a lot of skills uh, to do it well. But when it's done well, it's very impactful. You know, I, I want to dig in a little bit deeper to this, you know, single login experience. But before I do that, I just want to go back. Um, I, I, I totally hear the, the the unicorn type role you're talking about in this this idea to build <laughs> advocacy. And, and I think sometimes in a world where we want results now, um, trying to level set how long it's going to take mm. someone to actually develop that buy-in internally to get those resources. Um, you know, what kind of timelines do you think someone should be saying, you know, they're going to launch their, their first initiative and build that advocacy? Like, how long are you seeing that that taking people? And obviously, I assume there's a range there, but I'm just curious if we can help level set some people so they can can stay strong during the fight. I think it really it's it's organization to organization as you as you said um will there's a real range i mean for us when when we come in um to work with a client who doesn't yet have a advocacy strategy um it's usually about ninety days you know forty five or sorry sixty to ninety days um end to end to deliver that strategy and then it would you know be another three months if you're implementing a a tool um typically. Um, so you could have something pretty decent stood up in um, in six months and then, you know, you are going to get out of it what you put into it. So, you, you know, plan to have some time where you're nurturing those relationships before you're asking. But, you know, having said that, we're working with a client right now and, and had a workshop this morning um, where the, the goal of the, um, the project was to develop um, a customer advocacy program and, and then go ahead and stand that up. But when we went out into the research and, and talked to the clients, it became just abundantly clear uh, that that wasn't going to be the right approach for them. An advocacy program wasn't going to be the right approach for them. 
um, and aim, you know, gunning for those outcomes um, that they came to us, um, you know, kind of as the, this is the bottom line, we need to get these types of outcomes from this program, and we need to have these quick wins, you know, right out of the gate, um, based on that, the, the customer feedback based on the research this morning, it was quite a pivot um, to say, okay, yeah, I, I think that this is going to be a longer runway before we start to see real results, but we're committed um, and um, we're, we're committed to nurturing those relationships, building relationships customer by customer um, and picking up what wins we can along the way, but backing off of, you know, X number of customer stories within the first 30 days type of approach. Yeah, that's very interesting. Um, and I mean, it's, I lo- you know, I love hearing, you know, A, just a story where you go in and talk to a customer and genuinely understand what they want. And, and they're like, hey, this may not be what you're looking to hear, but uh, let, let's walk through how it's going to really be. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, and I think that's a lesson that, that, that so many people in customer marketing can, can take, which is like, we're trying to, you know, as you were saying earlier, we're trying to deliver value to the customer. And yes, at some point, we hope that exchange is for commercial, um, you know, gains for ourselves, but, that that's not as simple as running an ad campaign. This isn't like we're going to go put some creative up, run it to a landing page, send them and ask them to convert. But I think that there still is, whether it's from executives or from, you know, uh, more inexperienced practitioners, there's still some expectation that I can just flick something on. And in a month, I'm going to be a rock star. Um, and I'm glad to hear that, you know, you're, you're helping coach people through that and, and helping them kind of discover um, what, what great things they can do, but in a realistic point of view of, of what it's going to take. Yeah. It's, it's not always easy. It's not always easy. There are some (laughs) customers who will, you know, just right out of the gate have, um, just a, a frenzied group of customers who are super excited to be part of a branded advocacy program happens all the time. Um, but, uh, that's, that's not uh, the reality for everyone. There's definitely different shades of, um, of customer advocacy and it's figuring out what's the right shade, uh, for that organization at, at where they're at in that relationship with their customers. And I do think we will see it become more difficult. There was this lovely golden age where <laughs> you literally stood up a customer program and it was so novel in the B to specifically mm. in the B two B space to get invited to uh, join something that was branded a club mm-hmm. uh, of sorts, um, but it is not as novel as it used to be. I will agree with you. Will in some industries specifically, it is still quite novel, but in a lot of other industries, specifically tech, um, it's n- it's not that novel anymore. And so people are not going to flock just because there has to be something very valuable. Um, and it, it's, and it's not going to be just swag. And, and I love swag, by the way, feel free to send me your <laughs> swag. Anyone who's listening, but, but that's just not going to do it. That's just a nice to have. And so really digging into this level of what are these people, this group, what do they want and need and how, if at all, can we step in the gap? and offer to help fill those needs. And that means more and more and more, you can't just have this big, broad program because people are very individual. People have individual needs and wants and desires and personalities. And so the, you know, the maturation that we are seeing is we're going from these big, broad programs where we just throw every customer in and, and watch it um, just take engagement by storm. But more it's so what are the segments within our customer base that make sense 
uh, to create and nurture that relationship because they have something of value that we would we would find useful in helping to grow our organization, but we can also help them um, with their professional growth or a specific need or desire that they have. Um, let's build a great program for them. And then maybe we have this other group over here. They have totally different wants, desires, needs, um, and we need to figure out what those are and we need to cater that engagement to them. Uh, so instead of a single program, and Dina, you threw out this word at one point already, this idea of some, what we term a portfolio of advocacy. So you don't have an advocacy program, you have an advocacy practice. And we're just really bullish about this. Uh, we don't like when people equate the advocacy practice to a program. Hmm. Uh, we don't equate um, sales sales management or sales operations to just, you know, um, HubSpot. It's our sales function is not HubSpot. Um, obviously nobody believes that. And so we need to get away from the idea that our advocacy practice is a tool that we use. That's, that's not correct. Um, you need to start thinking much bigger and much more strategically because you have a lot of nuanced needs in your organization and in your customer base. You know, and, and, and maybe this ties into the you know conversation we'd had before before today um, around this idea that you know you've got to reach that that advocate where they are um, and and you had mentioned this idea that you know you're you're continuing to to develop on around ungated programs versus gated programs and and the different things that the different levels that people can participate um, or different ways that people can participate and want to participate maybe you can kind of share a little bit of your thoughts on on that and and where you see that going. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Go go ahead, Liz. <laughs> Man, we're so similar. We even were both going to answer, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Which is a don't, don't spend any time together at all, right? We work together for a long time, Will. <laughs> um, I think you're hitting, Will, on this idea of, so holistically, we have coined this term called Advocacy 2.0, which is, okay, we, you know, we've mentioned some of the ways advocacy um, came to being and and how it started off and had a bit of this golden age. But now we're really in this next phase of advocacy. And one piece of that next phase is the focus on how to engage with customer, all our customers, not just our VIP or our happiest, but how to do that in in a in a personalized way where there is meaning and value, like I was just men mentioning to that individual. Um, and and how to follow that journey, that that personalization and that engagement across that their customer journey. And of course, a customer journey isn't again like in what one platform or whatever. It's through multiple right. channels. Um, and so more and more, this idea of a login. We have this uh, cool graph that unfortunately we can't show on a podcast, but there there is there is uh, circles, and the center circle is okay. Here's my branded advocacy program that that lives right there. Um, but the outside circle from that are, are people who like engage point in time. It's not that they're not advocates or they don't want to spend any time with you, um, but they're, they're just not going to join um, some type of formal program that's going to uh, require investment beyond the day to day. They may not see your product that way and, and think that it requires any more engagement on their part, um, or they just may have no desire or they, they may not like the types of activities included in those types of programs. But that doesn't mean that they're they're not engaged and willing to do acts of advocacy along their customer journey. So starting to think outside of like, oh, we're pulling people over to this program. 
and this is where we ask them to do X, Y, and Z. That's fine. We're, I mean, we're all for that. We, we help people create programs. That's our bread and butter. But, but we really like for people to start thinking about this outside circle where people along that journey, you're able to engage them where they are at. Um, Adina loves to say advocacy happens everywhere. Um, it doesn't need to be confined to one program or one platform. But as people do this naturally through their customer journey, are we capturing that? And, and are we building processes into that customer journey that, that capitalize on these opportune moments in that customer journey? And I think that's where the practice is very immature. Mm. Um, it's, it's kind of, here's advocacy siloed over here, but yeah, nobody really wants to work with the support team on how to operationalize picking up a piece of advocacy after a really great support engagement. Um, one of the ones I'm sure if you've heard me on anything, you've heard me talk about this because it drives me insane, but like, uh, the renewal, the act of renewal is like the greatest act of advocacy and it's virtually ignored. Mm -hmm. There's no celebration. There's no badge. There's usually no swag. There's like zero that happens there. And it's so strange to me um, that we don't count that as advocacy and it's, it's not recorded in somebody's advocacy profile. It's just kind of like, that's just table stakes. They have to renew. Um, but uh, I, I think as, thing they as, can do. <laughs> table stakes. But, you know, as we, we nurture, yeah. we nurture, but we don't nurture very well throughout the customer journey. And then we certainly don't capitalize on the opportune moments throughout that customer journey. So uh, once people have that, you know, people typically start with that solidified advocacy program. That's just where people yeah. typically start. But as as we they start to think bigger than that, we are seeing people open to this idea of, okay, how do I integrate advocacy into the customer journey? Again, you are going to run into issues. It is very difficult to integrate into a customer journey that's been built outside with and the, the different tools, different channels, different data sets, et cetera, mm -hmm. et cetera. And so my advice then is always baby steps, you guys. Like somebody, we have to crack the code at some point. So pick three moments and try to build um, processes that result in measurable activity, nurture or or outcomes for advocacy, and then and then we can we can go from there. But um, we have to start taking those baby steps. And this all comes back well to our really our foundational firm belief that customer advocacy is a practice. It is a strategic business practice. It's not a platform. It's not a tool. It's a practice. It's, it's a set of best practices that when implemented in different ways across the business can lead to the, the same outcomes that people would be looking to drive inside um, a, a standalone program. The practice of advocacy doesn't change. You're just changing where you're trying to implement those best practices. So whether you have moments of truth, points of friction on that customer journey, apply the principles of customer advocacy to those moments. And that could just be to nurture their relationship or it, it you know, the, the renewal, hooray, great. Like, let's see something happen here uh, to recognize it and, and celebrate um, this, this achievement, this milestone. Uh, or it, it could be, Hey, this person's just come off um, a support interaction. They went in there really hot and they came out totally satisfied let's let this ride for maybe a week and then per potentially we ask for um, a review or, you know, some sort of ask because we know that that person is kind of now up on a little bit of a high coming out of this great support interaction. 
do you think it would be fair to say kind of in a somewhat hierarchical view of, of customer interactions that, that maybe we started with customer support and we've developed customer success and that we're really graduating into the layer that is customer advocacy and, and that that touches the, the customer journey from very first interaction all the way to the end, but it's kind of a, a layered evolution. Is, is that a fair way to, to maybe look at it? Yeah, I don't know if I've ever really thought of it, Will, but I, I do think I'll use that word table stakes again. It's so funny because we were talking to a client today about the hierarchy of, of needs, right, for an yeah. advocate. If we're looking at it from a customer enablement perspective, the support is that base need. Yeah. I, you you got to help me use my tool. I bought something from you. You got to help me use it. So if I'm having technological issues, you need to help me resolve them. That's that's the base. Yeah. And then I think what you're saying here is then we evolved into this, oh, maybe we should, well, with the evolution of SaaS and, you know, the reduction of on-prem and all that kind of stuff, we, we are now at this point of, oh, we need to, we're responsible. We're responsible for their well-being with the product, their success with the product. So we can't just answer technical issues when there's a problem. We have to proactively ensure that they are successful. And that's customer success, um, which turned into a wonderful relationship um, mm. as well for, for the customer. Um, this other layer, I, I think you could be right, Will, because then you get to this top layer and that you're not even just thinking, oh, how do we make them successful with our product? You're, you're a bit beyond that question because yeah. hopefully you have these two already in place, right, right? right? And now you can discuss, okay, beyond even making them just successful with our product, how do we make them successful? How, how do we help them be a partner, a collaborator in making this person um, successful and building relationship with them that could could be focused on our 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 technology, but it also could be focused beyond that. Um, so I had never really thought about it, but that makes a, a a very good picture inside of my head of if you're looking to build an uh, advocacy practice, it is important to have these other pieces in place. Um, and and then even though we we take advocacy and we look at the whole journey, obviously if you don't have a good support function, you might you're probably going to want to focus on having that in place first. Yeah, yeah. And the only reason I ask is because I, I think what you're kind of describing is is this this evolution of advocacy to a place where advocacy is not just like you said, it's not just the branded program, the inner circle. It it, mm -hmm. it really starts to look at that interaction. And we were just speaking with Sendoso about this in, a, in an earlier episode. Where there's, you know, they're talking about advocacy, like when you sign up, like when you purchase, right? How does advocacy mm. get involved at the beginning of the journey? And I think that's kind of similar, a little more advanced, maybe hear what you're describing, but, but kind of that mm -hmm. similar idea that it's a, it's a layer, not like a point, if you will, or something like that. Yeah. And I think just spit, spitballing on a podcast, because why not try out mm, new ideas? Why not? When, when why not? And you could, I mean, you, you can, you could also argue that advocacy even begins before um, yeah. the, yes. de the deal is mm -hmm. done, especially when you think about, you know, excellent um, salespeople who are masterful relationship um, builders versus those who aren't. When you mm -hmm. think about bringing in a one-to-one -one reference who's well-coached, well-nurtured, um, and well-spoken, what's happening in that interaction is they're demonstrating to that prospect what 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 it's going to what that experience is going to be when you become a customer 
look at how good they're treating me. Look at, look at what, you know, um, what, what, let me share what my journey with this organization has been like. So you're already sort of teaching um, that prospect, what being a customer advocate, that advocate for the business um, uh, could be for them. Right. Absolutely. Um, maybe we'll step out of the pontification of, uh, of new ideas <laughs> in, in the live, live audience. But, um, but you know, you, you, you are, are pushing the bounds of advocacy programs. There's no questions there. You're working with major brands to really develop what advocacy is going to mean for years to come. Right. And we've talked about the branded program and, and that is what many of us, I think, think about as with advocacy. But, but there is so much more. Uh, we talked a little bit about, um, advocacy 2.0, but I'm always looking for the, the next cool thing, the next big thing. Are there any, uh, either emerging trends you see or, uh, great ideas you just wish your clients were ready to adopt? Um, that, that you can kind of share there. I'm, I'm always kind of keen because, because I'm with you. I, I think the table stakes, if you will, of the branded program is, is, is great, but there is so much more. I'm just, I'm just kind of curious if there's any emerging trends or, or things you see on the horizon that, that you can share with us. I think one trend that has just kind of popped its head up here over the last six to eight weeks. So super late breaking. And I say it's a trend just because I've had three clients um, all wanting to have some sort of focus in, in this area. And, and it's the area of executive advocacy. Mm. Um, so not, not, a, not a customer advisory board not um, just another executive kind of wine and dine program, but taking those principles of customer advocacy, the best practices of customer advocacy and applying them to this audience that since the beginning of customer advocacy time has kind of been like, bah, executives don't, they're, they're not so much bought into this idea of customer advocacy, seeing that as a, as a trend um, uh, with folks, looking to stand up customer advocacy type programs, but focused on that executive audience. And obviously, you know, it, executives aren't going to come into a, typically speaking, they're not going to come into a gamified platform and, you know, do um, funny things or social things yeah. to earn gift cards. Right. So it's, it's not that, but it's the principles of customer advocacy. It's about, understanding who the customer is at a really deep level. So getting beyond the kind of superficial uh, information that's already in the CRM or having a quick poke at someone's LinkedIn profile, really understanding their wants, needs, and um, desires, um, work, motivating them, nurturing them through different types of activities, value-add activities to their time, um, where they are in their career and where they are in their journey with you, and then activating them when the time is right around the, the metrics or activities that matter to um, to the business. So we're seeing big organizations uh, who are starting to lean into this idea of uh, executive advocacy. So I think that that's going to emerge as a trend, which is great because I've always said executives are people too. They go home on the weekend, they kick the ball <laughs> around, they tell jokes, you know, they drink yeah. beer. So executives are people too. And it's been a really long time, I think, since executives have been looked at <laughs> as people who also, um, you know, could, could be um, interested and motivated and activated if treated in the right way. Yeah, I think we had a conversation the other day about would, would, would executives appreciate entertainment at mm. all? And they, they do like to be entertained. <laughs> they actually, we do like to be entertained. Um, 
And then I, I would just add to it is not um, this idea, and, and you've already hit on it a little bit, Will, of that, the, the idea of channels and where we meet people. And um, this is no, you know, new breaking news, but um, obviously the lines are blurred between personal channels and business channels. And I do think um, we have reached a point of saturation with email. I, I, yeah. I, I hate to say it, but I, I delete a lot of emails without even o- opening them. Um, and it may even be programs that I'm part of or know of or whatever, but unless I am absolutely sure there's something valuable in there, um, I will default to deleting. And so how do we, as we get to points of consumption or saturation, how do we reach people? How are we heard? And so I've been a a big proponent of, uh, other channels for a long time to get people's attention. I'm still a fan of like the only thing where the green button is ever totally gone. In this case, a red button is my text. You know, so if someone sends me a text, I am still looking at that text. Um, I think we'll see. I'll, I think we'll see engagement start to happen in messaging platforms mm. like you know whether it's Facebook or Twitter or LinkedIn or whatever it might be, where the the experience is starting to become totally integrated. And we're seeing that a little bit with um, as people look at tools to build community, even with their mm-hmm. customers, right? Uh, a lot of people are opting for Slack. It's super easy and you can just spin something up. But the the real reason there is almost everyone has it. And so right. you're starting to see, you know, that idea of, well, what does almost everyone have? Where where can we make the ease of entrance extremely um, just not even a, a blocker of any kind? And so I do think that B2B, even B2B organizations are going to have to start thinking along those lines. Um as it becomes less and less desirable to have uh, so many different tools, so many different platforms. Yeah. And, and I kind of, the underlying trend, I think I kind of see in both of those things you, you just shared with us there is, is almost a, it's the continuation of consumerization, if you will. That idea they know executives are people too. We can interact with them. They want entertainment. <laughs> you know, they're, they're not, they're not just, um, you know, suits that we, we kind of, uh, we talk to, but, and at the same point, like meeting this, this, business person um where they are in their in their world right i mean i don't know about you but but slack has blurred the lines for sure in my life between personal and professional and 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 is used for many things and and i i really like that idea of of how do we get away from whether it's a you know external branded program community must go somewhere else to blend that in or or how do i just communicate in meaningful ways with my my uh my advocates through the channels they're already using. I think both of those are, are great thoughts for us to, uh, to take away. Um, and I'm definitely excited to see where the world of advocacy goes with, uh, with the two of you helping push it forwards. Uh, I know we will definitely not be anywhere near where we are now in a few more years with you two uh, helping us advance it. So I'm really glad um, that we've had the time here today to learn just a little bit, just the tip of the iceberg of what you're doing <laughs> and, and how you can help. Um, before we go, um, how can people find you if they want to learn more or they want to want to talk? We've, we've got yeah. our website, the captivate collective.com um, or LinkedIn. You can find us uh, either of those channels. Wonderful. Yeah. Well, I just want to thank you both very, very much for your time again today. Uh, I've sure enjoyed this conversation. I'm sure the listeners have as well. Um, thank you very, very much for your time. Oh, thanks. Will. thanks for, thanks having, for us. having us. Will. It was fun. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to another great episode of The Advocacy Channel. 
Join us next time as we uncover more insights from other industry experts like Dina and Liz. If you like what you heard and would like to help support the advocacy channel, please review, rate, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about customer marketing, head over to the Sasquatch blog or follow us on LinkedIn. The links are in the episode's description. If you're looking to create a powerful customer advocacy program that will help you better activate, engage, and retain your customers, head over to sasquatch.com. That's S-A-A-S-Q-U-A-T-C-H.com to learn more about our referral, loyalty, and rewards platform. That wraps up another great episode of the Advocacy Channel. We'll see you real soon.